Israel, evidence that the Bible is God's word. But how does the nation of Israel prove the Bible true? And how does that prove that the Bible is God's word? Well, the topic of Israel is a very contentious topic. Many people all over the world consider Israel to be a threat to global security. I want to establish from the outset that we as Christadelphians do not hold any political views on this subject. Neither do we support any mandate political movement. However, we do hold close attention to Israel's movements and many of the surrounding nations. Much of what we observe in the world around us today is consistent with what the Bible teaches, proving that God is in control of the nations and the kingdoms of men. Mark Twain once wrote, if the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but one quarter of 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jews ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and obtuse learning are also very out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvellous fight in this world in all ages and has done it with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused of it. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, rose, filled this planet with sound and splendour, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greeks and Romans followed and made a vast noise and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time but it burned out and they sit in twilight now and have vanished. The Jews saw them all, survived them all, and now is what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert but aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jews. All forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? What an interesting and insightful comment, but one that has left us with a question. What is the secret of Israel's immortality? Why has such a runt of a nation survived the ages against all odds? Now, as many of you will know, Israel has had a very turbulent history, containing multiple destructions, captivities, and countless attempts from various nations to totally destroy them from off the face of the earth. And yet they are still a people, alive and well. The prophet describes them as a people dwelling safely and at rest. But why are they known as God's people? 
What's so special about Israel? Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. If you have a Bible with you, please turn over to Isaiah chapter 43. Now the context to this chapter is a contrast between the one true God and the idols that the nation had now adopted. For example, chapter 42 and verse 17, they turned their back on God and worshipped molten images. But in chapter 43 and verse 10 says, God says that there is no other God beside him. Verse 11, he is the only God that could save. And verse 12 is the clincher where we read that I, that is God, I have declared and have saved. I have showed when there was no strange gods, that is idols, when there was no strange gods among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Israel were to be God's witnesses that he and he alone is God. In what way? Come back to verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. God is saying, Israel, you are my nation. And it doesn't matter what happens to you, whether it be fire or flood, I will save you. I will redeem you. Because the fact that you exist is an evidence or a sign to the surrounding nations that I, God, exist. You see, God is invisible. 1 Timothy 6 says of God, who no man hath seen nor can see. So God in his wisdom has provided a visible witness to his existence. Let's keep on reading and see how far God is willing to go to preserve his nation, the people Israel. Verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, and since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee, and people for thy life. So God has sacrificed other nations for Israel's sake. And he says he's going to do it again. Verse 14, Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans. 
Here God is foretelling the future. The Assyrians were the ruling power of the day. Babylon hadn't even reached its zenith yet. Now this raises another question. How can Israel be God's witnesses if they are about to go into captivity? Well, the captivity was brought upon them because they had rejected God and followed idols. But despite their unfaithfulness, God hasn't finished with them. He is going to regather them. Let's read verse 5 to 11. Fear not, for I am with thee. That is God. God is with them. I will bring thy seed or thy children from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Whom among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no saviour. So it's quite clear that the nation of Israel are God's chosen people. And here are some more thoughts that God has towards Israel. Israel are his chosen nation. God will never forget his chosen people, Israel. The people of Israel will never completely be destroyed. And whoever touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. And God himself is Israel's protection. But where did Israel come from? Where did it all begin? Well, about 4,000 years ago, God appeared to a man called Abraham, to whom he made a series of wonderful promises. Promises on a condition that Abraham obeyed God. We read in Genesis 12 and verse 1 that God had said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And again, in 15 verse 5, we read that God said to Abraham, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars, count the stars. If thou be able to number them, he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So Abraham was promised many things, but what we're focusing on tonight, for our purposes tonight, is that Abraham would be promised an innumerable seed. Now Abraham and his family moved to the promised land, which at that time was known as the land of Canaan. But times got tough, 
and Abraham's descendants moved down to Egypt as a result of a famine. And it was there in Egypt where God blessed them and they multiplied into a nation. And it's of this time we read in Genesis 15 and verse 13 to 14, this is God speaking to Abraham. I know of a a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a strange land and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And if we were to read Exodus, we would find out that that nation was Egypt. And so Israel in time became slaves to the Egyptians. Israel was persecuted as prophesied. Exodus 1 and verse 9. This is Pharaoh speaking to his subjects. Verse 9. He said unto his people, Behold, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass, when there falleth out any war, they join unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them in their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. But Israel was also promised that they would receive deliverance. Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, said in Genesis 50 and verse 24, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph wanted his bones to go with them. And we know that was fulfilled when Moses took the bones of Joseph with him to the promised land out of Egypt. We read this verse earlier, Deuteronomy 7. Yahweh did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath or the promise which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and has brought you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. For what reason? Chapter 4 and verse 20. The Lord hath taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him an inheritance, to be his people, his own people, as ye are this day. Again in 2 Samuel 7. What nation in the earth is like unto thy people, even like Israel, which thou redeemest from Egypt? For all the nations and their gods, for thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto them, unto thee forever. So Israel travelled from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. A land promised to Israel. 
Now, when was the land promised to Israel? Again, Abraham appeared to Abraham when he was in Canaan and said, I will give unto thee and to thy seed or to thy children after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 600 years later, Israel entered the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. And in Joshua 24 and verse 13, we read, I have given you a land for which you did not labour, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of vineyards and of olive yards, which ye planted not, do ye eat. But Israel didn't stay in that land forever. God's covenant with Israel was conditional. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. Verse 25. When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shalt corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon afterly perish from off that land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall surely be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, or the nations whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which, see, which neither see nor hear, nor eat nor smell. So God said, if they forgot God, then he would lead them into captivity. But verse 29, If from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn unto the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. God would surely visit them. And this happened and is recorded for us in Ezra 5 and verse 12. Israel provoked the God, and as a result, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed the temple and deported the people to Babylon. But as we saw from Deuteronomy 4, they remained in the land on the condition that they obeyed God's voice. But if they denied him, he forsook them and gave them into the hand of their enemies. But if they turned back the Lord, to the Lord their God and were obedient, 
God would remember his covenant which he had made to their fathers. The return of the nation was prophesied in Jeremiah 29 where we read, For thus saith the Lord, After seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So Israel returned to the land, but they didn't remain there forever. Deuteronomy 28, just a few pages over. context of this chapter, verses 1 to 14 are the blessings for obedience and verses 15 onwards record the consequences for disobedience and starting at verse 15 it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day and all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee Verse 41, thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. Verse 45, moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and pursue thee and overtake thee until thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. Verse 48, Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck, until he hath destroyed thee. Who is this nation that will come and take Israel captive? Well, there are a few clues. Verse 48 mentioned a yoke of iron, and iron is the metal used to represent Rome throughout Scripture. And Daniel 2 is a good example of that, which I'm more than happy to talk about after. Verse 49. Yahweh shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, and nations whose tongue thou shalt not understand. And again, Rome used an eagle as their banner. Verse 50. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor show favour to the young. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine or oil, or the increase of thy kind or flocks of, of thy sheep until he hath destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high fence walls come down wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land. He shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. 
And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege, in the straightness wherein thine enemies shall distress thee. Verse 62. And thou shalt be left few in number, whereas thou wast as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass, as the Lord rejoiced over thee to do thee good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked off from off that land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from, the end, from one end of the earth unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night and shalt have no assurance of thy life. This is Moses prophesying to the nation before they had even entered the land. And this wasn't fulfilled until AD 70. This is Christ's comment, Luke 21 and verse 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And let him which is them which is in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Matthew tells us that there is 42 generations between when it was prophesied and its fulfilment. But the other records uh, tell us that there was even more than that. So this is a period of about 1,200 years from when it was prophesied until it was fulfilled. But God wanted Israel back in the land. They are his witness to his existence. So God says in Jeremiah 16, Behold... I will send for many fishes, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Now a fisher is someone who lures or entices. And one of those fishers was Theodore Herzl. He sowed the seeds for Zionism. And in 1897, he led the first Zionist Congress. This sparked the immigration of the Jews to the land of Palestine. And God said, after the fishers, he would send hunters. There's probably not a better description than, than that of a hunter to describe Hitler and the Nazis. The rise of Nazi Germany had one goal, the total annihilation of the Jewish people. 
Six million Jews died in labour and death camps across Europe. Many Jews fled Europe, resulting in many refugees entering the Holy Land. You know, Hitler once said, once I am really in power, my first and foremost task will be the annihilation of the Jews as soon as I have the power to do so. But God had other plans. Israel are his witnesses. He says in Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves are of roar. Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So as surely as the sun rules the day and the moon the night, and as long as every star in our solar system burns, that's how sure we can be that Israel will remain. Even when they are disobedient and God disperses them among the nations, they are still God's witnesses. Even in them being dispersed, they are fulfilling what the Bible says would happen if they forsook their God. Now, because of the large amount of Jewish refugees entering Palestine, the British, who at that time had control of Palestine, put an end to Jewish immigration, and many refugees were sent back into Europe, only to die in death camps or in British detention camps. The Jews could only see one solution, cast off the British yoke and declare independence. <clears throat> the Jews harassed the British forces with countless bombings and guerrilla-like warfare. And eventually, after five years of bloodshed, on May, or the 14th of May, 1948, the last of the British forces left Palestine, handing it over to the UN. The Jews didn't miss a beat. On that very day, Britain left. The 14th of May, 1948, Israel declared their independence. And many refugees flocked to Israel. Jeremiah makes a public declaration for all nations to hear. He writes, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. One of our founding members of the Christadelphians, in one of his books, made a very insightful comment about Britain and Jewry. There is then a partial and primary restoration of the Jews before the manifestation of Christ, which is to serve as a nucleus or a basis for the future operations in the restoration of the rest of the tribe after he has appeared in the kingdom. The pre-adventural colonisation of Palestine will be on purely political principles and the Jewish colonists will return in unbelief of Messiahship of Jesus and the truth as it is in him. They will emerge, uh, emigrate thither as agriculturalists and traders in the hope of ultimately establishing their commonwealth under the efficient protection 
of the British power. Now, he wrote that statement in 1850, purely based on his interpretation of the Bible. That's 100 years before Israel became a nation and about 80 years before the Balfour Declaration was issued in 1917, promising British support for, for the Jews and a nation of our national homeland in Palestine. In the last 70 years, Israel has declared their independence and they have survived many wars, many of which were a threat to the very existence, some offensive, some defensive. The amazing thing about these wars is the odds of which they were fighting against. The War of Independence, Israel against nine other countries. The Six-Day War, Israel against 13 Arab countries. The War of Attrition, Israel against four other nations. The Yom Kippur War, Israel against eight other nations. <coughs> Ezekiel 38 and verse 8 says, After many years thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been laid waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Ezekiel styles this land as a land brought back from the sword. And it truly is a land that has been brought back from the sword. So we've seen Israel go on a journey of highs and lows. We've seen countless attempts from various people and nations to try and exterminate them from being a people. And I think we've answered our question we began with. What is the secret to their immortality? Is it simply the fact that they are God's chosen people? They are his witnesses to his existence. And God wrote the Bible. Ezekiel 36 says, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I, that is God, will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, or the nations, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in, in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and I will bring you into your own land. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. What God is telling us is that Israel aren't back in the land for their sakes, but for the purpose that other nations might see it and acknowledge that Yahweh, that the Lord, is the one true God. God has promised uh, to Israel, I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. 
Though I make an end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Now, although the nation has many shortcomings, they even killed their own Messiah. But they are still God's people. He chose them to be his witnesses, a witness to his very existence. God does have a future purpose with them. And it's through their hope that we can have hope. I think we've seen that the Bible has accurately foretold what is going to happen to the nation consistently from the day they were formed right up until our own day. But what the Bible says about Israel doesn't end there. There are still unfulfilled prophecies which we believe will be fulfilled in the near future. Now, why aren't they fulfilled yet? You see, God chose Israel to be his people, but they have rejected their God and their Messiah. So God has invited the Gentile nations to take part of Israel's hope, to pick up where they left off. And this hope is explained for us in Romans 11 and verse 25. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. They don't know their God or their Messiah. So blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, become in. So that's... uh, Christ, our King, will not return until... The Jewish hope has been offered to the Gentiles. Let's read on. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So what the writer, Paul, is saying here is while Israel is blind to God's truth, their blindness opens a door of opportunity to us. So what does this mean for us? Well, Mark 16 and verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. But how does baptism save us? Well, Paul answers that for us in Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's...